Welcome to the Azure Podcast, a series of short discussions on various topics related to the Microsoft Cloud Platform. Your hosts, Kale Tita, Evan Basilic, and Sajid Mello, discuss a specific topic on each show to give you a high-level overview of that topic and resources to get more information should you wish to dig further. For more information on our show, please see our website at azpodcast.com. Welcome to the Azure Podcast. This is episode number six. The topic is databases in Windows Azure. As always, my name is Sujit Mello. I am an AppDev consultant with Microsoft based out of New Jersey. And on Skype, uh, I have not one, but two of my esteemed colleagues, Kale Tita and Evan Basilic. Kale and Evan, please introduce yourselves. Thanks, Sujit. Uh, this is Kale. I'm also an MCS AppDev consultant from the New York region. And this is Evan Bastic. I'm a senior support escalation engineer in the Windows group supporting Windows Azure. The perfect uh, couple of people to talk about this topic. Kale, uh, what are what are uh, the options that we have for putting SQL Server in Windows Azure? Yeah, thanks, Ajit. Uh, we have a couple different options. Um, one of the first options was one of the things when Windows Azure first came to be was the concept of running a multi-tenant uh, SQL Server database. So it started out um, with a different name, but currently the name is Windows Azure SQL Database. And what that comprised of is is a multi-tenant database. You can attach to it remotely, but you don't have access to system-level functions, obviously, because it's in a multi-tenant mode. On the flip side of that, if we do need some of the system-level functions and some of the more advanced features of SQL Server, um, we can flip to what's called a dedicated instance where we're running SQL Server on uh, infrastructure as a service. And basically what you have there is what you would have if you were running on-premise. Um, you're running a, a VM. Your infrastructure as a service is just a VM. You can pick the size and how much memory and disks and those types of things. And then you have total control over those types of things. So those are kind of the two different options that we have when we look at running SQL in, in Azure. Great. Thanks, Kale. So, so Evan, I was wondering... Uh, you know, if I'm a customer and I'm trying to figure out what the best way for me would be to put SQL Server in Azure, and I have these two choices, uh, you know, what, what exactly are the differences and how can I uh, best make a choice on that? Yeah, sure. There's uh, you know a couple of different things to consider. Although I'm going to throw out one bit of trivia um, before we go into this is the I'm not sure if you guys know, but the original release of uh, and I still call it SQL Azure. I, I still can't. I can't get around calling it SQL Database, um, was actually using an HTTP API into the underlying engine. Um, luckily, the product group realized that was a not such a good idea, and they decided to release the TDS version that we have now. Um, but the beauty of these two is that you can use the same clients, and so most of your decisions are around what you need on the back end. Uh, for Windows Azure SQL Database, you have a, you know, a set of replicas, where you have a primary and multiple secondaries, and then we do a quorum-based commit. Basically, as long as we get confirmation from at least one secondary that we uh, finish the right, we're going to commit it and then move on. If, if for some reason the other one doesn't commit, we're going to throw away that replica. Um, it's fully automated failovers. If one of your replicas goes away, we rebuild a brand-new secondary. If your primary goes away, we promote a secondary to a primary and move on. The, the beauty of that is you don't have to worry about things like 
you know, drive failures and those kind of things. The downside is that you don't have as con- much control and you are multi-tenant. So you are, could be potentially subject to other people on your instance. Now that from a performance perspective, the, it really comes down to multi-tenant versus single-tenant. I have the whole box or I just have part of it. Um, in an ideal model for Azure SQL database, you're going to have lots of small databases. And so you're going to spread your load over lots of individual servers. Uh, and this means that you're going to want to look at things like caching and those kind of things so that you make less calls to the database ultimately. Um, a lot of people use you know web services to get into the database because you don't really want everybody going into your database directly, right? Same as on-premises. Um, from a, from a, for the dedicated scenario, the SQL Azure on IaaS, right, you're going to have, it's just like on-premises. You have multiple disks. You want to stripe across multiple disks so you get more spindles. Uh, in addition, you want to spread this across multiple storage accounts because we have a limit per storage account. Um, and then from a licensing perspective, you, you don't really have to worry about licenses with Azure SQL Database. With SQL on IaaS, you have two options. You can pay per minute, in essence, where you buy a license as part of the CPU consumption, or you can do what we call, um, uh, uh, the name escapes now, but basically we, you have the ability to bring your license from on-premises with you, uh, and then you can use it just like you did on-premises. I see. Very good. Thanks, uh, Evan. And uh, so back to Kale then. Um, you know, so how what 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 exactly is the difference between what what Evan just described, putting it in Azure versus someone who already has an infrastructure on on site? Uh, you know, uh, what what are they gaining or losing uh, by moving to the cloud? Yeah, good question, Sujit. Uh, one thing that to think about is if we're going with Windows Azure SQL Database, uh, it does bring a lot of benefits with it. So when you think about things like what we had to do in the past in order to maintain uh, high availability for our databases, so we did things like log shipping, mirroring, all sorts of replication techniques we've had in SQL Server over the years, and those were primarily there to support making sure we had a backup um, that was relatively timely, depending on how much time we need down to the second or millisecond. And um, so, so we had a variety of techniques to do that. And when you think about using stuff in the cloud with Windows Azure SQL Database, we don't have to have so much pressure on that because it's going to handle that for us. When we write up there, just like Evan said, we're going to write to the primary and a secondary and make sure that's good before we commit. And so that's a good thing, right? So we don't have to worry so much about, you know, replicating our data all over the place. It's going to be handled for us. Um, one of the downsides, though, when you think about that is, wow, this thing has to wait for two databases to commit. It's kind of like um, when we're doing mirroring, like a synchronous type thing, where we have to wait for um, these things to complete. And, you know, when you're working with many, many transactions, even milliseconds count. And so, you know, a lot of feedback I heard originally when we first released the product was, wow, this thing's really slow. Why is this so slow? What's up with this? You know, Evan mentioned some of the API stuff we had in there before might have been slowing it down a little bit, but we do also do these these multiple commits and kind of, or you know, multi-stage commit. So the performance is going to suffer a little bit there. So one of the things is make sure we put like a caching layer or something like that between our application and our database. Uh, Evan mentioned the web services, something like Web API, or even just using our cache layer that we have up in in Azure as well. So it really comes down to how does your application access your database? You know, applications that are really chatty, uh, they're not going to be great whenever they're, if they're, especially if they're talking from on-premise up to the cloud. 
So you really have to look at your application, but there's a lot of benefits to going to the cloud, you know, from the backup and that, that kind of perspective. And there's some performance trade-offs you got to think about. So those are the kind of things that I think about. Amazing. Thanks, Kale. So, you know, if I'm a, if I'm a, an IT administrator for my on-site database, you know, I'm very comfortable. I know how to troubleshoot the database uh, on my premise. But when it's up in the cloud, you know, I feel a bit nervous sometimes about, you know, how I could go ahead troubleshooting problems with the database in the cloud. Now, Evan, I know with your background, you're uh, perfect to answer such a question. How, you know, how, do, how does one go about troubleshooting issues with uh, the uh, SQL Server in the cloud? So, as as Kale mentioned, right, there are some system-level things that you're not going to dig into or you can't dig into. But by and large, you troubleshoot query performance issues in Azure SQL Database and SQL Server IaaS the same exact way. I mean, SQL Server IaaS, I think you probably get just kind of natively. Yeah, it's SQL Server. It just happens to be running on a VM in the cloud. All my standard tools apply. For Windows Azure SQL Database, um, DM exec query stats, if you're a DBA, you know that one. You use that all the time. Works just the same in Azure. Um, the other queries, uh, DMVs that look at your query history and SQL text, all those work exactly the same. So I actually have a set of four queries that I run for on-premises stuff where I do, you know, top 10 IO consumer, top 10 CPU consumer, top 10 um, uh, duration. Those queries are cut and paste runnable across Windows Azure SQL Database and SQL Server, right? So there, there's most of your troubleshooting right there. The other thing to think about is, fundamentally, it is SQL Server 2012 underneath Windows Azure SQL Database. And if you don't believe me, go run select add at version. <laughs> version numbers are the same. We actually, um, a little trivia here, but we actually released SQL Server 2012 to the wild as the underlying engine for Windows Azure SQL Database three months before we shipped it to the rest of the world. Nice. So it acts just the same. Now, Evan, a quick question here for you. Uh, how about uh, connectivity issues? Because that's something that I know I face a lot, right, uh, with SQL Server. Uh, how do you troubleshoot connectivity problems with SQL Server in the cloud? Mostly the same way that you do on-premises, right? It's it's you're looking at network traces, you're, you're looking at your connection timeout, your login, you know, that we have uh, the sysevents table that shows login successes and failures. Uh, now, that table doesn't exist on-premises, um, but it, so in, other, in some ways we actually have an improvement in Windows Azure SQL Database. But um, from a general perspective, it's, it's the same tools that you use on-premises. You're only going to look at, you're going to look at one side of the network communication, not both. But I, you know, the chances of us dropping packets on this Windows Azure SQL Database side of things we're not going to really. We're not likely to single you out specifically. So if we have a problem, it's broad, and we're on top of it like so, crazy. So it's almost always client side. So even if you can't access SQL Server with your tools, you can still get to it from the portal, I believe, right? You could correct. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah, and you'll actually get a, a message that'll come back and say something like, "This IP address is not allowed." Mm. Um, and so if you go into the portal, you can then enable, you know, your local IP. And then you'll be able to connect to it with your tools. So that's a good that's a good call out. I had forgotten about that. I was going to talk about some. So let's talk, when we talk about troubleshooting, right? One of the things that comes out is query performance, almost always. And this is probably a good time to talk about scale out versus scale up, right? So in the on-premises world, we've almost always, when you you know, if, if you aren't getting the performance you want, you throw more hardware at it, right? Which means ultimately we get these bigger and bigger and bigger databases, right? We just take, you know, just 
stuff all that data in there that you can. Well, in, in Windows Azure SQL Database, right, you don't have the ability to do a big database. 150 gigabytes is your largest. So really the recommendation is to scale out with Windows Azure SQL Database, which is super, super easy, right, because you can just click a button and create a new database. Um, and so you do what's called sharding, right? So you, your application is aware of the fact that, you know, all your customers whose names start with A are in this database, and all your customers whose names that start with Z are in this other database. And your application code does that. The end result is you have a bunch of smaller databases. You actually can get better performance, right, because you're running a much smaller query, you know, maybe hitting a 1,000 rows instead of a million rows. Mm. Um, on the SQL IS side, you can scale up, and you can scale up to what we call our A7DM, which is 56 gigabytes of RAM, and I think it's 16 cores. Um, that's For a on-premises SQL server, that's not a massive machine. We've all seen these 64-core terabyte RAM machines. But, you know, given that our databases are going to top out a, a terabyte, that's that's still a pretty beefy machine for that. So you can you can certainly scale up with SQL IaaS. Um, but if you're scaling up, you know, again, you're going to look at SQL IaaS. If you're scaling out, uh, Windows Azure SQL Database is a much better option to look at. Right. Awesome. Thanks. Uh, thanks for that for those tips, uh, Evan. So, uh, so so Kale, I know you've done a couple of projects uh, with uh, putting databases up in the cloud. Uh, so besides SQL Server. You know, can customers host any other vendor databases in the cloud? What are our uh, options over there? Yes, yeah, Ajit. Um, there's actually a couple options, and most recently we've announced support for for Oracle. Um, but we can run, um, you know, a variety of different databases up there: MySQL, DB2. Um, again, if you're running an infrastructure as a service, we do have a supported list of applications up there. And like I said, like Oracle was, was just now added to that list. Um, but as the popularity of the databases grow, if new ones come along, th- they get the support that you need to, to run them up there and then, um, they become options for you to use. You know, so you just have to be aware of what's supported and what's not, or you end up calling someone like Evan and saying, why is this not working? Um, and why do I have this uh, kind of funky stuff happening? One, one thing I wanted to uh, talk about uh, real quick was um, Evan was mentioning sharding. And one of the uh, the huge examples of this um, at Microsoft was uh, Pottermore. So this was a website based sort of about the Harry Potter books. And I know particularly because I talked to some of the guys who actually worked on that project, and uh, that was a massive scale website. Uh, I think it was something like a billion page views over like a two-week period, um, like tens of millions of visitors visiting this thing. Uh, I know for a fact it had like 500 – at one point when it first launched, it had like 500 uh, Sequizer databases behind it with this massive sharding technique, so – it, that's a pretty massive scale to show uh, what this thing's capable of. Wow. I just want to mention that. Awesome. So uh, I just uh, I know um, you mentioned that we are supporting Oracle, uh, but I believe we're still working on that, right, uh, guys? Uh, did we announce yeah, all the support so, yet? So, so the Oracle is interesting. So the platform will support running it. Um, you know, the same with some of the Linux VMs that are out there. The platform will run it, and, and the platform will spin up the VMs. Um, we're still working on finalizing the actual support agreement such that, you know, you can actually call and we will, you know, actually help you solve your problems versus, yep, your your VM is, is up and running. So, you know, we definitely, this is a key strategic thing for us to do is to get Oracle running in Windows Azure and, and let you guys as customers, you know, completely do whatever you want with it. But you're going to want to check back on our on our public sites because we will, 
uh, update our documentation and say, hey, you know, we finally signed the full support agreements, everything's worked out, and we're going to make a very seamless support experience between us and Oracle to make sure that you're successful. Yep. Um, again, today you can spin it up. We just aren't – you're not fully supported yet. Right, right. I know there was uh, something announced recently, right, some kind of agreement between the two companies. So I'm sure right. there's more to come there. Yeah. Now, uh, just to be clear, though, the uh, the support for these other databases, is that on, on Windows only or can, can we run them on Linux as well? The platform will support spinning up Oracle on Linux. Uh, VMs. And so, yeah, it, the, the support experience, again, is still kind of, we're still working out the details on that, but you can certainly spin up the VMs. I think the base images out there for Oracle, I think all of them are Linux today. I don't know if there are any Windows images that are out there yet. I know they're coming if they're not there yet, but the the ones that are out there today are mostly Linux, I think. Okay, great. So as we're winding down, uh, I just, as usual, I wanted to leave our listeners with, uh, with a few uh, links and uh, tips. So uh, there's an interesting link uh, that I'm going to put in the show notes. Uh, it's uh, 10 of the top tools uh, for anyone to use with Windows Azure. And these cover, uh, you know, things like, um, uh, you know, using uh, the System Center uh, or um, how do you use storage, uh, how you manage storage uh, with, uh, with various GUI tools, using the, the Storage Explorer, which we have talked about before, using the Cloud Backup. Or some of the RedKit tools uh, for cloud, uh, you know, for for managing your cloud services, and of course uh, Visual Studio and others. So there's a link to that in the show notes. And also, some of you guys may be wondering what uh, an Azure data center looks like internally. And we do have some videos that uh, I was able to find. And I'll put some links to those videos in the show notes as well, just in case you guys are, you know, curious what the inside of these uh, data centers actually look like. So uh, I guess uh, that's a wrap. I'm hope, uh, I think we covered quite a bit on Azure, uh, SQL Azure today, and I uh, hope our listeners got something out of it. Uh, if you have any um, uh, comments you want to make on this show or others, uh, you know, be sure to use our Twitter handle, which is uh, Azure Podcast. And otherwise, we'll uh, see you the next time. Thanks, uh, Evan and Kale, for all your comments. Thanks, Eugene. Great. Thanks, folks. Take care. Thank you for listening to the show. If you have any comments or questions, please use our Twitter handle at Azure Podcasts. Background music has been taken from ccmixer.org under the Creative Commons license. Thank you, and see you next time.